All right, good morning, church. Thank you for joining us this morning. Today we are continuing in our series, Overcoming Spiritual Vertigo. Man, I don't know about you, but for me this has been an amazing series for me personally to be able to navigate some things in my own life. And I know as we began this series, we kind of defined what spiritual vertigo was, and we also talked about week one, how do we overcome it? And we looked at the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, and, and we saw there exactly how we can overcome the spiritual vertigo that's in our lives. But then we also kind of navigated through what happens if we don't do anything with it. In other words, what happens if we allow the spiritual vertigo to continue in our lives and we never address it, we never deal with it? What was the ripple effect of that? Where would that lead us? And we talked about that. And then a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we actually asked this question. But what if I really do it? In other words, what if I do what the writer of Hebrews said, and I really lay aside the, the, the sin that so easily entangles me, and I lay aside the weighty things that are, that are weighing me down, and I truly put my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If I really do that, what will that produce in my life? And I think as a believer, that's a crucial question that we should be asking every Sunday morning is, okay, I hear God's word, I understand what God's word says, there's a challenge in God's word, what's at stake if I don't do anything, but what will it produce in my life if I obey it? And so the last several weeks we've been talking about what it produces in our lives if we truly do what the writer Hebrews said and keep our eyes on Jesus. In fact, I said it produces four things in our life. The first thing we talked about it produces, it produces a courage to live by faith. It produces the courage to live by faith, and we talked about what a life of faith looks like. And then last week we talked about a second thing it produces in our life. It produces a strength to face what's in front of us. That if we truly keep our eyes on Christ, no matter what comes our way, the impossible obstacles of life, the uncertain and unexpected moments of life, the hopelessness with which we live in, that we feel like, I mean, no matter what comes our way, he will give us the strength to face that, to overcome that, to move through that, and to live in hope rather than to live in despair. And so he said that the second thing it produces is a strength to face what's in front of us. Today I want to give you the third thing it produces, and that is a determination to stand firm. A determination, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, it will produce in us a determination to stand firm. Now, I remember when I was in uh, junior high, seventh, or seventh grade, which here they call it middle school, but when I was in junior high, I remember every day I would go to a history class, and there was a guy in my history class that, that uh, he and I did not like each other that very much, and, he, and I was kind of short and dumpy. I know you're, like, you're still dumpy, but I was short back then, and he was like tall and slender and kind of muscular, and he picked on me every day. Today they would call it bullying, but he picked on me every day. And he would say stuff, and he'd make fun of me. He would talk about my weight. And then he would ultimately say something like this, just stand up and fight me, and I, I, will, I will hit you so hard that you'll go crying to your mama. That's what he would say every day. And all the people around us would just start laughing, and I was embarrassed, and guess what? I just never stood up. Well, one day I went home, and my dad was there, and my dad, like I said, I've said before, he's a, he's a, he's a larger-than-life kind of guy, 6'4", 270, I mean, a man's man, and, and he asked me what was wrong, and I wouldn't tell him, and eventually I told him what was happening, and my dad got so upset, so frustrated, and he said, listen to me, and he called me boy, but it was his way of saying, all right, pay attention. He said, here's what you're going to do tomorrow. He said, when that guy says whatever he says, you're going to stand up. And you're going to say to him, you do what you need to do, but I can promise you one thing, I will not go crying to my mama. Now, my dad wasn't telling me to punch him or to incite violence. He wasn't saying any of those things. He was telling me to stand up for myself. So the next day, <clears throat> I go into the history room, 
Same thing has been happening. It's been happening week after week after week. He comes up saying the same stuff, and he says, if you stand up, he's going to hit you so hard, you're going to go crying to your mama. Everybody's laughing. So I stand up. I mean, I don't know why. I just, I, all of a sudden, I could hear my dad's voice in my, in my head, and I stood up, and I was shaking. I was scared. I was thinking, if he does punch me, I probably will go crying to my mama. But I stood up with everything in me, and I said, you do what you need to do. But I promise you this, I will not shed a tear. And I had waited for the punch, <laughs> right? And he turned around, laughed it off, and never bothered me again. But in that moment, I could hear my dad's voice in my ear, stand up, boy, and I stood up. Here's the point. For me, in that moment, my focus was on what my dad said, and it gave me the determination to stand up for myself. And listen, if we will keep our eyes on Jesus, it will give us the determination to stand firm in our faith. So today we're going to talk about that. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians. Now, the passage we're going to read today, outside of different stories in the Gospels, might be the most common passage, if you've been a Christian for a while, that you've probably heard. So I don't want you to discount the passage. In fact, I want to read about the first three verses to set the context of what Paul's going to say because Paul is going to encourage the church of Ephesus that they need to stand firm in their faith. They need to stand up for Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, let me just read the first three verses, 10 through 13. He says this. As he closes out the letter, he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. Underline that word stand. Stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Now, here's what Paul says to the church of Ephesus. Listen, he says, listen, I'm going to encourage you to stand firm, but there's some things you need to know. First of all, you need to know there's a real enemy. And that real enemy has a name, and his name's the devil. There is a real enemy out there. You need to know that. You need to know that there are real schemes that the devil has. In fact, Jesus told us what those schemes were. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to kill our passion, and he wants to destroy our testimony. We know that there is a real enemy. He has a real plan to attack you. And listen, he says, I want you to know you're in a real battle. But hear me, your battle's not with each other. There's a spiritual battle that's going on. Now, please hear me on this, church. In the world that we live in today, when we turn on the news and we see the craziness, we see the hatred, we see the rioting, we need to be reminded that the real battle we face in the world today is not a battle with each other. There's a spiritual war that is going on. And so Paul tells this church of Ephesus, I want you to be so aware that there is a real enemy with real schemes and there is a real battle. Now, here's why that's important. It, when we put our eyes on Jesus and we truly fix our eyes on him, we become keenly aware of the same thing that Paul's telling this church of Ephesus. We become keenly aware that we do have a real enemy, the devil. He really does have a plan to attack us. And we really are in a spiritual battle. So the question I want to address today is how do we prepare for that battle? What do we have to do to be able to stand firm 
in that battle. And that's where Apostle Paul continues. He not only encourages them to stand firm, now he tells them how to stand firm, how to take on the full armor of God and what those pieces are and how it can help them stand firm for Christ. Now listen to me on this. This is a, this is a truth that we need in our lives. We too are in a battle. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we too will, it will produce a determination to stand firm in our faith. A determination to look at the world around us and go, enough is enough. I'm going to stand up for the gospel. I'm going to stand up for Christ. But at the end of the day, if we had that determination to stand up, we need to know what we need in our lives, what we need to put on to prepare us to, win a, to, to be ready for a battle so that we can win the battle and not be defeated. So here's what the Apostle Paul says. Look at me in verse 14 through 17. He says this, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, and which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. Now, in this passage, Paul gives six pieces to this armor that believers are going to need to put on if they're going to stand firm in their faith. The first one he mentions is this, the belt of truth. He says this in verse 14, stand therefore and having fastened on the belt of truth. So he says, first of all, as a believer, we need a belt of truth. Well, we understand that Paul, in writing this, is, is taking the imagery of a Roman soldier and he's comparing it to a spiritual thing that we need to implement into our life. So for a Roman soldier, a belt was essential for them. That's a word that we all like right now, right? It's the, it was essential. It was a core part of who they were and what they needed for battle. And here's why. Because the greatest danger to a Roman soldier was a tunic that was loose. Because tunics that what Roman men would wear are tunics that would go down to either the mid-shin area or all the way down to the ankle. Well, there's no way in battle they could run and maneuver and be mobile if they had this tunic all the way down. So literally, they would put a belt on and they would take their tunic and they would tuck it in their belt. In fact, in the Old Testament, they say it this way, gird up your loins. That's, that's an interesting way of saying it, but that's what they would do. They would take their tunic and they would gird it up. They would put it inside their belt. Why? So now they're mobile. Now they're able to fight. Now they're able to maneuver because they're not tripping over the tunic. Because they were tripping over the tunic, they would obviously lose in battle. And so the belt was central and core and necessary for Roman soldier. He says, what we need is a belt of truth. Not just a belt to hold your pants up. We need a belt of truth. We need to wrap ourselves around. What we need to put around us is truth. And I think that is so crucial for us today because we live in a world where truth is under attack. And you may have heard people say this before, but it's so true. We live in a world of relativism. And relativism is just basically means this. It means what is truth for someone is not necessarily truth for me, which means it's not necessarily truth for somebody else. Truth is relative. What works for you may not work for me. So your truth is not my truth. And it's gone as far to say this. If you don't think my truth is truth for me and you ignore that, then you become intolerant of me. Right? See, in the world we live in, they would simply say this, there is no 
absolute truth. In other words, there is no truth that's universal, there's no truth that is consistent, and there's no truth that is eternal. That's the world we live in. Truth is under attack. And as a believer in Christ, we need to put the belt of truth around us. We need to be able to stand up and say, there is an absolute truth. There is a truth that is universal. There is a truth that is consistent. And there is a truth that is eternal. And that truth is the word of God. There is truth. It's this truth that shapes my convictions. It's this truth that shapes my worldview. It's this truth that, 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 that shapes the urgency with how I live my life. It's this truth that holds everything together. Now hear me on this church. It's the truth of God's word that helps me take my faith and my convictions and live like this. It's the truth of God's word that is essential in our lives. Now, some of you are living a life, and you're not living like that. You're living your life on your own opinions, your own experiences, your own biasness. And I'm just telling you what Paul says. If we're going to stand firm against the enemy and this real spiritual battle that we have, we must put on a belt of truth. We must encircle ourselves with the truth of God's word. And then he says another piece of the armor is that the breastplate of righteousness. Now, a breastplate for a Roman soldier was essential because it was one of these pieces that sometimes it was metal, sometimes it was a thick leather, but it was essential because it protected the vitals. It protected the heart and it protected the bowels, the intestines. Now, obviously, if you get stabbed with a sword in the heart or the bowels, guess what? You're going to die. But for the ancient times, the heart and the bowels even took on a greater significance than just you know, physical death. The heart was a reflection of conviction and your will, and the bowels was a reflection of your seat of emotions. So it was important for you to protect that, to guard that, to be on guard for those things. And what Paul says is to the church of Ephesus, what we need is a breastplate too. But we need a breastplate of righteousness, now, really, when you look at this statement, it kind of has some ambiguity in it. Because on one hand, what he's saying is, what protects our vitals is not the righteousness you can muster up. Just like when we died, Jesus, then when Jesus died on the cross, he took on our sins. By faith in Jesus, he bestowed on us his righteousness. So what protects our vitals, our heart, and our emotions is that we have now taken on the righteousness of Christ. But it also means something else here. When he says that we need a breastplate of righteousness, this breastplate also represents living a life of righteousness. Living a life of holiness. Now hear me on this. When we live a life of obedience to Christ, that is one of the amazing ways we can protect our heart and our emotions. Well, how do we do that, Doug? Well, listen. If I'm consumed by living a life obedience to God's word and obedience to him, if I'm living a life consumed with that, guess what? I'm always going to keep my heart in check. I'm always going to keep my motivations in check. I'm always going to keep my loyalties in check. Because if I'm trying to live in line with this, I'm going to keep myself in check, my heart in check. But also if I'm consumed with living a life of obedience to the Lord, I'm going to keep my emotions in check. Because I'm not going to be driven by my own selfish desires. I'm going to be driven by the heart of God. I'm going to be driven to do the will of God. And now listen to me. If we don't live a life of obedience, if we don't live a life of righteousness, we are opening ourselves up to the attack of the enemy like never before. 
When we choose not to put on the breastplate of righteousness, acknowledge that we have the righteousness of Christ and that we're to live a life of righteousness, when we choose not to live that kind of life, we are opening our convictions, we're opening up our morality, we're opening up our emotions to the attack of the enemy. And he will attack us. And the only way we can really stand against the enemy is not only putting a belt of truth on, we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then the third thing he mentions is the feet of readiness. Listen, I'm going to go back and read that. He says this, after putting on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, for a Roman soldier, one of the most crucial pieces of the armor was the boots. If you know anything about the culture or the, the landscape over there, it's rocky, it's sharp rocks, it's a lot of climbing, a lot of hills, a lot of cliffs, it's rough terrain. And so we could all agree that if you were going barefoot through that kind of terrain, you probably weren't going to be effective in battle. So for the Romans, they would build boots for their soldiers, and really the boots had two purposes. On one hand, they had to be fitted for battle. So the, the, the Jewish historian Josephus said that actually the Roman soldiers' boots at the bottom would have like uh, spikes in the bottom, what we would call cleats. Why? So when they're climbing or they're holding ground, they wouldn't slip. But also the boots were built for a somewhat level of comfort. Now, not comfort like we know today where, you know, I've got like three insoles in so my feet don't hurt, my knees. Not that kind of comfort, but the comfort that would not produce blisters or their feet to hurt. Because if you're a soldier and you have blisters or your feet are hurting, you're going to be ineffective in battle. So the boots that was the foundation of the soldier had to be secure. And here's what Paul says. We need a feet of readiness. In other words, we need shoes of readiness. Readiness to do what? Readiness to stand against the enemy, ready to march against the enemy, ready to fight against the enemy. And what gives us that readiness, he says, is that, that we be given the readiness by the gospel of peace. What gives us the readiness to march and to fight the enemy is the gospel of peace that we've received. Now, don't miss this. What allows me and motivates me and readies me to battle is the gospel of peace that I've received. See, now, because I know Jesus, my Lord and Savior, I'm at peace with God. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer in opposition to God. I'm on the Lord's army. And so it's the gospel of peace that readies me, readies me to fight this battle. But also it's the gospel that gives me confidence. Now hear me on this. The gospel is this, that Jesus is the Son of God that he was born to a virgin named Mary in a place called Bethlehem, that he lived a sinless life doing miracles, teaching things that put people in awe. And eventually he went to a cross and took on the weight of the sin of the world and he died on the cross and he was buried in a grave and three days later he rose from the grave. And it's that gospel message, this gospel of peace that we have received, it's that gospel message that gives us confidence to stand, gives us confidence to fight. Why? Because it gives us confidence about how much he loves us. I mean, think about the magnitude, the width, and the depth of how God loves us, that he would send his only son to pay the price that he paid for us. It gives us confidence of how much he loves us, but it also gives us the confidence to fight in battle. Because I'm reminded when I think about the gospel, when I think about what Jesus has done for me, I'm reminded that because I've received that and I'm faced with a battle, that greater is he that is in me than he that is what? In the world. 
that the one I worship, the one I adore, the one I've surrendered my life to, he overcome death, hell, and the grave. And it gives me confidence to fight. He said we need to have a readiness about us to go into battle with the enemy. And see, if we don't have that confidence, we will never be ready to fight that battle. He says, so we need feet of readiness. The fourth thing he mentions is the shield of faith. He says this. Let me just read it one more time. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, for a Roman soldier, the shield that they possessed, there was really two shields. One was small and circular, but the main one they possessed was one that was more oblong. It was two and a half feet wide by four and a half feet tall. It was, it was a rather large shield. And the shields they used were used really in two ways. One way was obviously defensive. I mean, they would use them, and when people would shoot arrows or throw spears or try to stab them, they would lead with the shield, and they would try to block those things. But also, and lately I've been so fascinated with like the Spartans and the Vikings and the military and the, the people with swords and the, the shields. I mean, I've been watching a lot of stuff on that. I'm, just, I'm obsessed with that. But one thing I've learned is that they would take the shields and actually interlock them. And as they got to battle, they would take the shields and collectively they would use the shields, be behind the shields, and they would move the enemy backwards, allowing them to move forward. So not only was it defensive and blocking, it was also offensive in the sense they would use it to push forward. And he says, what we need is a shield of faith. Now, a shield of faith is not a shield of beliefs. That's not what it means. A shield of faith is our trust in God. In other words, when we go into battle, what we lead with, if you think of a soldier, what would a Roman soldier lead into battle with? Would he lead with his spear or sword? No. Would he lead with his head? No, that would have been terrible. What would he lead with? He led with a shield, right? He says, when we go into battle, we need a shield of faith. We need to lead with our trust in the Lord. So no matter what arrows the enemy shoots at us, and he does shoot arrows at us, doesn't he? Most of those arrows are in the shape of temptation. Temptation for us to fall to anger, temptation for us to fall to pride, temptation for us to fall into immoral situations and circumstances. He shoots arrow after arrow after arrow. But when we go into that battle and he's shooting those arrows with us, we need to lead in our trust in God. Trusting that no matter what the devil shoots at us, it is God who will protect us. It's God who will protect us. And then also as we engage in battle, that we lead with our trust in God, so no matter what comes our way, what the enemy throws at us, that God will use it to help us move forward like we talked about last week. I'm convinced with all of my heart that for so many believers, the enemy has thrown some things our way, and instead of us putting our faith out there and trusting God and letting God help us move forward, we are just sitting and we're just wallowing in the pain, we're wallowing in the agony, we're wallowing in the uncertainty, and we're just wallowing in the pit, the muddy pit, just like a pig. And I'm just telling you, if we're in a battle, we got to lead with our trust in the Lord, trusting that he will protect us, but trusting he will also give us the strength to move forward. He is our shield of faith. And then the fifth element he gives us is the helmet of salvation. He says here to put on the helmet of salvation. Now, helmet for Roman simply just was this. It was to protect the head from injury. And what Paul says is that we need a helmet of salvation, a helmet that protects our minds, right? If there's one place the enemy is going to attack us, it is in our minds, well, Doug, how does he attack our minds? Well, I think there's two primary ways. One is through discouragement and one is through doubt. 
I think he comes at us with both of those. He tries to discourage us by reminding us of our past failures, our past sins, our past relationships where we blew it, our bad health, our bad situations, our lack of income. Whatever that he can find that's maybe negative in our life, he will use that to try to discourage us. But he also tries to attack our minds with doubt. Doubting that if God really does love us. Doubting that if God is really in control. Causing us to doubt, you know, if, if the, he was really a loving God, why would he let this happen? Even to the point of doubting our salvation, right? And here's what I would say to us. What Paul is telling this church is, you have to protect your minds. What did Paul say in Romans 12, 1 and 2? He said, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't let the devil attack your mind. He's going to try to sow seeds of discouragement, sow seeds of doubt, and you've got to fight that. You can't let him do that. Well, Doug, how do we do that? Well, we do that by putting this word into our life. So if you're struggling with doubting your salvation, you need to go to John 10, 28 that says, once you've received eternal life, no one can pluck you from the Father's hand. And remind yourself that there's not, you should not doubt your salvation, that you were secure in Christ. If you're doubting who you are and you're doubting, you know, the devil wants you to think that you're so pitiful and you're so pathetic that God would never use you. You need to go to scripture that reminds you that you're forgiven, that you're accepted, that you're adopted, that you're child, and that you are loved by a holy God. You need to go to scripture to remind you of that. There's some of you that are struggling with confidence and self-esteem, and you need to go to Psalms 139 and remind yourself that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you've been knit together in your mother's womb. We need to guard our minds by putting this in there. That's why the writer, the writer, the psalmist said this, I put your words into my heart that I may not sin against you. See, when we put this into our lives, it protects us. That's why the writer, Solomon Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. We need to guard our minds by putting God's word in there. And then there's one more thing he mentions and it's the last piece of the armor, and it's the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. Now, the sword of the spirit, for, or the sword for a Roman soldier, was they, sometimes their sword was like six, six inches long, which wasn't very much, but most of them were 18 inches long, and they, and they would use them as a weapon in combat. And one thing about the Roman spears, that if you go back and study some, some Roman history, you'll find out this, that the more you sharpen them, the greater they were to penetrate almost anything. Some people would say that if you got them really sharp, it would almost penetrate metal. I mean, that's how, that's how thick and, and strong the, the metal was that they used. And so the greater you sharpen them, the greater impact they had. And what Paul says is that we need the sword of the Spirit. Now, what is the sword of the Spirit? What is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. Now, one thing I found interesting as I was praying and preparing and studying for today, I thought this to myself. You know what? The Word of God, really, if you think about it, is what strengthens all the other pieces of the armor, isn't it? See, if we're to put on a belt of truth, where do we find truth? Here? We sure don't find it in the world. We find it here, right? If we're to put on a breastplate of righteousness, where do we find what it means to live a life holy and pleasing to the Lord? Here. If we're to have a feat of readiness to, be, you know, to, to live for Christ because the gospel of peace has a lot to do, where do we find the truth of what the gospel is? Here. If we're to have a shield of faith and lead and trust God to provide for us and protect us and move us forward, where do we find out what faith really is and see stories and examples of people who live by faith and stories of those who didn't? 
in God's word. If we're to have a helmet of salvation and we're to protect our minds, where do we find the scripture necessary to protect it in God's word? The point is the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit and it makes every other weapon and every other piece that we have in the armor stronger than what it could be on its own. And he says we need the sword of the spirit. We need the word of God and it is really technically the only true offensive weapon out of everything. So what is the word of God valuable for? Well, listen to this. It exposes wrong doctrine. So if you encounter someone or you talk to someone, whether they say they're a believer or not, and say, you know what, I believe there are just multiple roads that lead to heaven, you can say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, God's word exposes wrong doctrine. God's word also confronts manipulative teachings. There's some people who try to take the word of God and manipulate it. Many of you have been manipulated because somewhere along the line in your church life, you've been taught that if you are good enough and you do enough good stuff, that somehow God's going to be pleased with you and you're going to become acceptable to him. Well, when you read God's word, what you find out is this, that I'm saved by grace through faith, not in my work. So what? Nobody can boast that works don't lead me to salvation. Works are evidence of salvation, Right? And so you have that truth in your life. Also, the word of God reminds us of our sin nature and our condition. For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is what? Death. See, it's this word that reminds me of my own sin nature and my own condition before Christ. But you know what this word also does? It points me to grace and forgiveness. The most familiar verse in all scripture says it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That if we put our faith in Christ, we experience grace and truth. This book does that for us. And here, the more we sharpen it and the more we put it into our lives, the greater weapon it becomes. Now I want you to hear me say something this morning. Just This is a weapon, and it's not a weapon just because you own one. It's a weapon because you know what's in it. Did you hear that? This Bible, this word of God is not a weapon because you have one that's collecting dust and the binding has never been broken. It's not a weapon because you have one or you can hit somebody with it. It's a weapon because you know what's in it. You know what God has said. You know the heartbeat of God. You know the will of God. You know the passion of God. It's a weapon because you know what's in it. Now, here's what I want us to know this morning. Here's, as we get ready to close this morning, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to realize this that we are in a battle, that we are under attack from the enemy. And only when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, will it produce in us a determination to stand firm. And hear me on this, church, the only way for us to stand firm is by putting on the whole armor of God. So here's the question I have for those of us that are believers this morning. Which piece of this armor are we missing? Which piece of this armor are we not putting into our life? Are we not encircling ourselves with truth? Are we not living a life of righteousness? Are we not letting the gospel drive us and move us and motivate us to be ready for battle? Are we not you know, leading in battle with our trust in the Lord, rather we're trusting ourselves? Are we struggling with protecting our mind? Are we not putting God's word into our life? Which one of these pieces of the armor that are essential are we missing? And here's what I want you to know. Once you discover it, you need to know this. That without all six pieces, 
we are ill-equipped to battle the enemy. It takes all of them. And I don't know if you notice as I read the passage, it said this. It said, fasten on, take on, put on. In other words, this armor that you need for battle, it's a choice you have to make to put it on. Nobody's going to throw it on you. Nobody's going to hold you down. It's a choice we have to make every day. And so it's important for us believers to go, you know what? Which one am I missing? And am I willing to commit to putting that in my life? Whether it's surrounding myself with truth or committing greater level to live a life of righteousness and holiness, whether it's being ready for God's battle, let the gospel change my life, or whether it's protecting my, my thoughts and my, my mind, whether it's you know, leading in faith by trusting God more than I ever have, or whether it's just simply digesting the word that is a weapon. Will you trust and commit to do whichever one you're missing and put it into your life? And then maybe there's some of you watching that don't have a relationship with Christ, and you would say, Doug, if there really is a spiritual battle, I need the armor too. Well, let me tell you something. The only way to get, gain access to the armor of God is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The only way you can have all the things that you need to battle the enemy is by knowing, first of all, that you're on God's team. And the only way you can do that is by surrendering your life to Christ, acknowledging that you're a sinner, and saying, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And maybe you need to make that decision this morning. I'm going to ask you right now, wherever you're at, just bow your head and close your eyes, and let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the time of worship we've had to declare your goodness and holiness. But God, I just pray as believers we would understand something. That if we keep our eyes on you, yes, it will give us the courage to live by faith. Yes, you will give us the strength to face what's in front of us. But Lord, you will also give us the determination to stand firm in our faith. To realize there really is an enemy. There really is a battle. And now we know today, Lord, we, even though we've heard it maybe a lot of times in church, now we know and are equipped to how we can fight that battle. We need the full armor of God. And Lord, so I pray for every believer, we would ask ourselves, which piece of the armor am I missing? Because whatever I'm missing is making me ill-equipped to fight the battle. Whatever I'm missing is leaving a gap spiritually. And may they make a commitment to put that piece of the armor on. And then, Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, that have never trusted you, that today they've heard the gospel, they've heard about your love for us, they've heard how Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave. Maybe today they would surrender their life to you. Lord, I pray that you just be with us. Help us be faithful to respond how you might be leading us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen.